This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. episode 268 of the craft beer and brewing podcast i'm jamie bogner and i am in my hometown of orlando florida today sitting across from me is garrett ward from sideward brewing welcome to the podcast garrett welcome welcome back i uh you know i love these opportunities to highlight my old hometown of orlando uh it's such it's such a cool thing to watch the beer scene develop watch high quality breweries um kind of gain a foothold you guys are about what three years old right now coming up on four yeah yeah four uh, and uh you're located I mean, really in a triangle of between places that I used to live. Yeah, right, right in the heart of it. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, and, and I've been to brewery a few times just hanging out with my brother-in-law when I was in town, but back before we had any conversation. But you sent us some some IPA back uh, for our IPA issue this year and uh, back in May or so. And I remember tasting it and thinking, damn, damn, this is good. And uh, and that was a point where I think we were, started emailing and uh, had arranged to talk at some point, pro- probably this Christmas. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was like, a, you, I was felt like I was planning way, way ahead on that one. It helps as you get older to plan far, far ahead. Sure. Uh, but then it came up that uh, my my Winter Park High School class of, class of 1992 reunion, 30th reunion is this weekend. And so I decided to pop down here. Figured we might as well have a conversation about brewing, uh, you know, while I was here. And so we're here. It's, uh, it's Bumby in the Milk District of Orlando, a small brewery, 1,200-ish barrels or so. Most of it's sold over the bar here. You make a lot of IPAs because uh, IPAs are great. And we love them. We love, so we, we make, tend to make a lot of them. Also playing in the lager space and making some more traditional styles to kind of complement that and keep drinkers happy. We're going to talk about all those things. Definitely talk about some of the exploration in IPA, uh, pushing on thiols, pushing on advanced hop products, finding ways to wring uh, flavor out while also still build, building uh, balanced beers with a significant amount of bitterness to help complement those sweeter, juicier, fun, fruity flavors. We're going to talk about all of that, but first for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on, G&D stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro brew has the equipment systems and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for info on patented ProCarb, inline carbonation technology, ProFill, rotary filling, and seaming can fillers, the Alchemeter inline alcohol separation system, 7 to 50 barrel brew houses, and more. ProBrew, a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand, offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. Garrett, give me the story of Sideward. Yeah, you've been brewing uh, around these parts for a while now. And Coming up on, uh, a, on a decade almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. The story of Sideward is we, it's me, my partner, Mandy, and my brother, Austin. Um, we've kind of all been in a separate space working for different breweries, different restaurants, and we kind of saw an opportunity to maybe do it our way, maybe do it a little bit different. And um, yeah, we decided to go all in and do it ourselves. In your personal career arc, where'd you where'd you uh, catch the craft beer bug? What was that kind of seminal moment for you? And then, uh, how did you decide to then pursue a career in brewing? Uh, you know, I think it was just one of those things you you, you kept searching out and looking for different things. But I mean, we got a hold of beer, we got a hold of some beer. But cliche story, uh, Manny bought me a homebrew kit, and it's all been downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. She just bought you a homebrew kit. It was a birthday birthday present. Sure. Um, and I think it was just, I've always enjoyed the space of food and cooking and um, and always trying to figure out how to make it better. And homebrewing was, it's I tell people all the time, it's a very tough hobby. Um, so the first few brews were good, but it's like, I think we can make this better. Mm-hmm. Here we are. So then what, uh, what pathway did that arc take? How'd you, when'd you get your first start in uh, professional brewing? Um, so long time, long time guy, Ron Rake was, uh, kind of like one of the only guys in town. There was maybe a handful 
of homebrewers and some clubs, but I just kind of kept bugging him. Uh, he was working for Shipyard at the time. They had a brew pub That's here. That's right, I, Ron, because I, uh, I talked to Charles from Broken Strings, mm-hmm. and he mentioned Ron also. Yeah, um, he was. It's fun real, to watch these, like you know, these kind of centers of influence and how those things like branch out and the influence we were, that certain we were people have. Such a small town that. <laughs> Uh, Orlando Brewing existed, um, and they kind of had their thing, uh, but there was really only just a few guys in town. So Ron was kind of like the best of the best and just kept bugging him and knocking down his door until he finally said, come and wash kegs. So uh, that's when he was at Ravenous Pig. So that was, he left Ravenous Pig, and that's when my first, he left it to me uh, and kind of uh, helped uh, transition that to where Larry is now. So what happened? So Ravenous Pig, you know, is a gastro pub and, and brewery in Winter Park. Um, what's the story of Ravenous Pig? Uh, it was just kind of one of those first restaurants that just kind of made a mark on the foodie scene. Uh, it was just kind of American gastro pub. So they had all American craft beer uh, and just was doing a higher elevated food for what this town had seen before. And then they put a brewery in yep. to make their own beer. Yep. And then just kind of that, prog- that progression. Um so you did some time there? Yes, that was my first pro. I was there for about a year, year and a half uh, altogether, uh, and then left there to start a brewery out in Winter Springs, uh, which is now defunct. But uh, yeah, and that's kind of where and I- Red Cypress yes, is that brewery. Okay, yes. I remember having some of their beer from, yeah. from time to time. Yeah. yeah, that's where I really just cut my teeth and learned learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. So then you decided to go your own way and uh, you know this uh, smaller family- uh, you know, focused business here at Sideward. As you all were coming up with this plan to create your own brewery, uh, you know, what did that creative process look like? How did you decide what you wanted it to be, where it's going to be, and what you're going to make? I mean, this really, this space is designed for us. Um, here in Orlando, there was just nothing in the way of playing, serving good beer, serving good food, playing rock and roll, you know, just kind of that atmosphere that I wanted to hang in. Um, so I think that we just saw that opportunity to like, let's create this space where we want to hang out and hopefully people will come and enjoy beer. And they have, which is great. Now, Orlando's got a fantastic kind of musical kind of creative scene. It's one that definitely flies under the radar, but it was a very formative one on me. In fact, even right now at the Orlando history museum is a whole big, uh, 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 installation about the nineties Orlando music scene, the bands, the designers, the concert promoters. And I mean, it was, it was a significant thing, a very formative thing on my own kind of creative development. And I was lucky to grow up in that kind of environment, but there is, it's a really, it's a cool vibe in Orlando. Oh, absolutely. I think it comes in waves. I think you have people that come in and are very motivated and very creative, uh, and then maybe see bigger opportunities somewhere else, but you know, it comes in waves. It's, it's uh, it's great at times, and then it takes a lull, and then we'll come. Someone else will come in and spark it up. It's something that nobody thinks about, but the number of uh, like uh, performers and talented musicians and creative people in this town uh, is outsized because of theme parks. You know, there are opportunities for people to work in creative fields, theater, music, you know, etc. Um, that don't exist in a lot of other towns or cities of this size of you know two million people or less, and so. Um, you know, those people also need their own creative outlet in addition yeah. to those things that they uh, they make a living on out working in theme parks well, and whatnot. Something that's definitely happened with the food scene is uh, people will come and get jobs at Disney, but they kind of realize maybe that's not the the space they want to. Uh, so I think we've downtown has attracted a lot of those people and they've stayed. So I think that has made even our scene even more uh, on the food side, even more better on the food side, just because people are just come and stay and they enjoy it. Sure. Sure. No. And there is uh, you know, that you're right. That uh, cuisine and uh, you know, creative culinary world is a, is a big piece of this too. And again, some great restaurants and great restaurant tours and fantastic chefs here. So you decide to open up in that kind of milieu here, you know, in this milk district on the edge of downtown. Um, how'd you decide what you guys were going to make? Um, we're fans of just beer in general. Uh, we still, I think I can speak for all of us. We still love it. Um, it's what I drink solely. Still love it. Uh, still love it. <laughs> I would hope uh, so. <laughs> yeah. um, although, although being in the industry, especially through the last pandemic, it could be enough to uh, shred a lot of people's love. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, of- it's beaten down a few people, which yeah. I, I, I feel bad. Uh, the light, I see the light fading, but uh, we, I still love it. Uh, you know, 
some days are tough, but uh, man, I make beer for a living. It's not that bad. But um, we just really enjoyed just old world drinkability. Um, so yes, we we make lagers. That's very hot right now, but it's it's something that we just love to have around. Uh, we're big fans of IPAs. Um, yeah, just kind of. I, I hate to sound cliche, but we kind of make what we want to make. I mean, the, the customer demand is there, um, but we do it in a way that is right for us. It helps to make something that you're, you're passionate about, that you like drinking yourself Absolutely. and, uh, you know, tend to put more creative energy into that in order to do it well, because if you're drinking it yourself, then you're also your own worst critic on it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you make a lot of IPAs. You do make, uh, you know, pub styles, ESB, you know, porter, alt beer, even, uh, you know, was it once a more of a core beer for you? Um, but there's a lot of IPAs. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I still love them in all shapes and forms of what they come in now. But yeah, I'm still a big fan. Sure, sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about how, you know, what that approach looks like to IPA. Before we do that, supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while. So why not trust the experts? To handle freight for your ingredients. Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, packaging beer can be a daunting task, but buying cans shouldn't be. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft. Think single truckloads and half-height pallets rather than million can minimums. For a smooth packaging experience, also consider their ultra-compact single operator canning machines. Pricing begins at $25,000 with quick six to eight week lead times on most equipment. American Canning exists to help share your craft in cans. Learn more about their ecosystem of solutions at americancanning.com. So you decide to make some IPAs, you know, clearly you've made them in the past and, uh, you know, in previous kind of brewing iterations. What, uh, how do you decide to, you know, stamp a sideward uh, kind of focus or creative stamp on, uh, on the IPAs that you make? I think bitterness is always kind of like a signature here. We kind of, we enjoy it, but it also provides balance. Um, we always it's also of, a very warm environment here in Florida and having yes, more bitter yes. beers, you know, it helps them have some sort of crisp drinkability. But that, just cause it's warmer doesn't mean, I mean, the, the stout thing is big here. That's true. Uh, it's true. Um, uh, the Florida new, does love sweet yeah, and yeah, fruity. Yes, yeah. they do. Uh, so we, we, we still kind of push that direction, but we, we tend to kind of come back to, uh, more drinkability. Um, and I believe that IPA is meant to be bitter in some realm. Um, so we kind of that's kind of like our signature maybe of uh, just kind of keeping it big, bold and in your face, but still keeping it quaffable, keeping it drinkable. Like, you know, you want to have we you want to make it so you have another pint. You know, you have to write a fine line there, right? Between something that is interesting enough and attractive enough to bring them back, but also something that isn't going to immediately turn them off has to be, you know, something big enough that it feels like it's different and interesting and compelling. But I think the, I think the meter's coming back, right? I think all, all the brewers are drinking lagers now, right? Sure, so, sure. So I think, you know, all the brewers were drinking IPAs years ago, and that's what caught on. So I think the meter's coming back. I, I think we don't have to do those monster truck beers anymore. I mean, we still do. It's still fun every now and then. But people are, I think they're excited about just beer and just drinking beer, and it doesn't have to have all these adjuncts anymore to be exciting. Sure. Sure. So let's walk through your IPA process and maybe, maybe we'll, you know, select a, an IPA that you, you know, might consider kind of a main, like a core, you know, piece of your IPA program. Um, what, what would, what's the IPA that you make more than any others? Uh, moon boots definitely, but uh, moon boots is a, uh, we do, I can, I think you have to do these days. Like we do a range of IPAs. So we have sure. moon boots is kind of like a, we, we call it an American IPA. Yeah. Um, it's, clear it's bitter um but it just it's we try to push everything we add it add it just like we do uh the hazy ipas um but it's 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 a staff favorite it's our favorite it's kind of our baby um but it's just drinkable 
and it's just kind of old world, but new world at the same time. Well, that sounds interesting. So let's talk about this. So it's American. You don't really call it West Coast IPA, but you call it an American it, IPA. It, it tilters on that. I, I like to say American IPA because it, it's it's West Coasty, but it's still it's still pushing that kind of hazy IPA techniques, the new world techniques. Uh, so it's kind of it doesn't fall into one specific, it doesn't fall into cold IPA. It doesn't fall into all these things. We, we just refer to it as American IPA. Well, that sounds like a great thing. So talk to, let's talk about building it. You know, what, uh, where, where do you start in where, where did you start with this recipe design, you know, formulating this idea of something that was going to be both accessible, but also have a, you know, bitterness and a crispness to it. Uh, you know, while it also expresses this kind of, you know, juicy new school flavor too. So, I mean, to me, it's all about just, showcasing the hops so it's 98 percent pilsner malt yeah uh so just something is there a specific pilsner malt that you uh, i'm a big fan of wireman sure sure. um just i'm i'm not going deep into the malt analysis so i know they do great stuff uh hits the numbers every time and it's just clean and it's it's something i can rely on day in and day out so, you know, why, why that though over, you know, maybe some, um, you know, more domestic Pilsner? I just, I think I tend to like the character is kind of what I use when I came up. Um, sure. so I just, it's worked. So I've never really steered away. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. And I mean, it makes sense cause you also brew lagers and yeah, absolutely. You know, that way that you've got, uh, you know, a store of it, it's, yeah. it's, it has its very, not variables. It has its, um, it's versatile yeah. in the sense that it, it is Pilsner lager specific malt, but I mean, we use it in most of our IPAs um, and it's just very versatile. So 98% is Pilsner malt. What do you, what do you what's the rest? Uh, there's a little bit of gold naked oats in there just for body, just for a little bit of a caramel, kind of that, you know, melanoidin kind of character. Um, Even at 2%, you can just to, just to round it out just huh. a little bit. Uh, is it really perceptible though, even at that small percentage? Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I, it's just, it's kind of just yeah. like a little bit of seasoning on there, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, so as you get through uh, you know, a mash schedule on this, you've got a, a, you know, a two vessel system back there. You know, what, what does mashing look like for you? Uh, it's kind of just straightforward. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just an infusion mash, nothing crazy. Uh, yeah. We would uh, we have would have liked to do some different things, but with our space we have, that's all we could fit. So, uh, yeah, just straightforward, just infusion mash, um, just kind of on the lower end to kind of help dry that beer out. Right. Um, we are starting to mash up a little bit to kind of create some, you know, a, to decrease some oxidation factors, some heavy metals, uh, but also to push whatever whatever thial thing might be happening in there just to help push any hop flavor we can in that beer. Thials are so hot right now. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Cause I know you've got uh, you know, another beer on the, on the menu, double hazy IPA yeah. that is all about the thials. And you know, so we'll explore that in a little bit, but um, so you go through a mash hop, uh, how much, about how much of, of those hops end up in your mash? Hop? Not much. Uh, we're doing probably five to 10 pounds for or I'd say five pounds for that beer specifically. We're not really trying to push that kind of that thial thing in that beer too hard. Um, and it's a 10 barrel brew system. 15. Oh, 15. 15. Okay. So yeah, it's not much Yeah, yeah. at all. Just trying to help get, build that flavor just in every step of that process. So yeah. it starts there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So through then through that mashing process, you know, through the hot side, where do you, where do you go from there? Um, it's kind of treated like a, kind of a, like a West coast at that point, first wart, uh, then so, so, uh, an addition middle and then whirlpool. So it's, it's treated like old school. It's kind of to build that bitterness, to build that drinkability, um, to what, have what that, are the hops in this, uh, it is mosaic focused. Okay. Uh, so it's pretty much a mosaic beer. There's some Vic secret, there's some Eldorado, uh, but it's mosaic focused beer through and through. So that big juicy mango kind of tropical flavor is all on that backbone and then kind of some other hops help build that and sustain that. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but let's talk about that, you know, that first wort hop, is this all still mosaic or are you using something that's uh, specifically bittering? At we the have moved to the uh, flex 
Um, mm. It's nice, clean. Uh, I was big fans of Incognito. Yeah. Uh, so, I was, man, if they do that well, let's try this bittering uh, product. And it's we've moved to it. It's just nice, clean bitterness, and it helps with efficiency, all, all the above, you know. Sure, I'm sure. And a little bit of, like, that smooth, bitter hop character yeah. that, yeah. Uh, yeah, without all that extra vegetal yeah, matter yeah, yeah, yeah. that early yeah. in the uh, in the hot side process. So you have a, uh, how about how much of that goes in your 15 barrel batch? What, what's the IBU goal on this? Or it's do you even uh, think about it it's absurd. It's uh, like 62% uh, alpha acids. Alpha acids. Um, right. So you don't need much. It's yeah, we're, yeah. we're putting anywhere from 100 grams to 175 grams first wort. Right. It's, it's literally nothing. That's super efficient. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, and for the beer itself, what's the, the general IBU goal? And I imagine this is all going to be calculated. We try to push it uh, to the higher end. I think it's around 70. Um, yes. Yeah. So it, 70 it, IBUs. Yeah, it's, it's big. I haven't heard that number in yeah. a while. Um, <laughs> at, through some things, it's probably perceived as probably like 60, 50. Sure. Uh, sure. But we're, yeah, we're definitely pushing it. It's definitely in that old school kind of, you know, uh, bitterness. Oh, it's so crazy that thing that that's that's old school. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that it really seems is. like it's kind of right where you know American IPA. I think it's coming back. You know, okay. cold cold IPA is helping that out. You know, bringing bitterness back. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. So, so you you know you start with first board and you said you have what a thirty minute edition? Uh, or? somewhere around there. I Some, can't think okay. of uh, it's thirty fifteen somewhere around there of uh, Simcoe just to build that another. A little bit of a clean bitterness, uh, but Mid-boil also boil hops. Uh, crazy. Uh, nobody does crazy. that anymore. I know. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, it's just as being an IPA lover, I think it's just trying to build and uh, build on and just trying to get as much hop character you can in that beer huh. without without being, you know, 100 IBUs, blah, blah, blah. Sure. What do you think that adds then? Uh, and it's a small edition, huh? Yeah, I think it's five pounds. Okay. Um, I think it just it 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 just building on you know adding just layers and layers. You may you may never really taste it, yeah. But I think it's there. Uh, I think it adds stepping stones to uh, hold those other dry hops up to hold those things up. Sure, if you're building juicy, fruity characters in other kinds mm-hmm. of ways, then that uh, that also creates that kind of you know familiar touchstone, especially for older IPA drinkers who uh, you know may have. A sense of what that used to be. Yeah, yeah. It's almost this bridge, a bridge to the you know what's next, but it also feels familiar and comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's cool. So then, uh, so what? What do the rest of the hot side hops look like? Again, mosaic focus. So I think it's uh, we've changed it up now. It's mosaic incognito. Uh, incognito. Cent- yeah. Uh, Centennial Salvo. So just all just saturated with all this you guys are getting oil. into all the advanced hot products um i get excited so we like okay. to push the boundaries uh and i've really dug really dug them i think they just it follows through fermentation and you can hmm. you can you can taste it it's there it sticks around and it's you know it's not in your face you still need that dry hop but it's you can use it and you still get that mosaic character through through fermentation through the end so when let's talk about when you are you adding those towards the end then or that, uh, so yeah that's, that's all whirlpool that's all whirlpool okay mm-hmm. what's whirlpool look like uh, we cool down just a touch um, to bring out a little bit more fruitier flavors but still uh, what, what's just a touch uh, two hundred okay. so twelve degrees you know so that's barely below boiling where I'm come from yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny this, over the last two weeks I, I swear to God I've had like four conversations about uh, reduced temperature whirlpools and it does seem like uh, that trend has just been gripping the the hoppier brewing world I think it helps uh, it helps bring out a little bit more of that fruity character that you're looking for uh, yeah. instead of that kind of more noble more vegetal more resiny uh flavors uh, we still want those but we prefer uh, um that tropical fruit cup um those things cip hey there's a brewery going on behind yeah, yeah. us so it's uh these are the sounds these are these are the real brewery sounds so um so then you yeah what's the how long do you whirlpool for um, we we kind of do it just enough to get and your boil off in general here in Florida, like because it's a very humid environment, has to not too much. Uh, we're doing anywhere from a half uh, half barrel to a barrel of boil off, yeah. so it's uh, nothing crazy. Yeah, 
again, out in drier environments like Colorado. Uh, that that the, eats it up. <laughs> those things happen a little bit faster. Yeah. You know, 60 minute boil then or. Yeah. Um, typically 60 to 90 minute on everything here. Yeah. Um, again, I, with the hazy IPA thing, that's kind of uh, crazy these days, but uh, we were still kind of stuck in that old world, uh, you know, hard and fast, true 60 minute. Fair enough. So, so I'm sorry, how long was that whirlpool? Uh, we're doing a, a long, just long enough to create that whirlpool to kind of just yeah. not disturb all that stuff. We've tried to work so hard to get in there. So just as long as we need to, I think it's like five to 10 minutes, depending on the hop load. Okay. So nice and quick then. Yeah. As quick as is we kind of, once that boil is over, boil is over, we try to get it to the fermenter as fast as possible mm. just to kind of make sure all those hop com- components and all those malt characteristics are just as it's cool down as fast as possible. Yeah. Rapid and intense, but then hold, try to hold them in the liquid and, uh, yeah. and then get them into a fermenter where they're not going to, going to blow off, yeah. uh, super quickly. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then, you know, how, what's, how does that entree into the cold side look? Um, we are a little bit more traditional in the sense that we kind of wait for fermentation to calm down. Uh, and then we'll start our dry hop process. But, uh, this when it, this is kind of when it takes the new school route. Uh, we double dry hopping, <clears throat> double dry hopping, um, and kind of just massively loading that fermenter with cryo, with T90s. Um, at I think Moon Boots is like three pounds per barrel at this point. So on the higher end, yeah. What um, do you ferment it with? Uh, right now uh, we've kind of we've taken some things from hazy IPA. Uh, but we've also taken things from cold IPA. So I guess technically I don't want to give out all the, you know, uh, didn't want to say this, but you know, technically it's a cold IPA. Uh, we don't like to call it that cause it's, it's not a cold IPA because there's no adjunct in it. I guess, I guess there if you there's go. There's no there, rice there, or there, corn yeah, then it's go. not a cold there IPA, right? Uh, but it is, it is, <laughs> uh, it is. To, I, I think that I, uh, that's a reasonable line to draw, yeah. you know, that, uh, and uh, we are, let me, also back up to say that we have gotten that wrong at sometimes in the past also and categorize things as cold IPA just because of the lager yeast fermentation. Yeah. You know, it's probably not the right thing to call it a cold IPA unless it's got a significant, you know, you know, 20 plus percent of, of corner rice in there to, to, you know, dry the beer out. So, but it's a, a lager for we, lager we, yeast we took, fermentation. We took notes from kind of Pine House doing the cold uh, yeast thing, uh, but also cold IPA. So yeah, it right Right now, I believe it is thirty four seventy on the on the warmer side. Okay, um, but yeah, it's just it's it, a very Highland Park uh, uh, type yeah, uh, approach to IPA fermentation. Absolutely, um, but I think it just provides that clean backbone that just lets the hops just shine, and yeah. that's, that's what that beer is about. Is just trying to push that mosaic tropical thing in any way we can without any distraction, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you say you ferment it warm, how warm is warm? Uh, low sixties. Okay. Uh, we'll probably knock out in probably like 55 and let it free rise up to like 60. I think towards the end it's hitting 63. Um, but yeah, just as fast as we can with that. So that's ease. actually a little colder than some people are doing this than on their, uh, you know, with this similar IPA approach. Interesting. Yeah. Well, bump up the temperature, <laughs> get it out faster. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Um, you, you know, is there anything particular to, uh, you know, the way that you pitch this given that, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's still going to, no, we kind of, tr- we kind of treat it like we would Chico. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, it's kind of in my mind, it is Chico to some extent. It's mm. just old reliable. It does exactly what it does every time. And it's right. just clean and crisp. Um, and I think that's why it's attracted me quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, very cool. So then, you know, so you, it's a, you know, 3470 fermentation, I imagine, you know, it's 10 days ish or so, you know, f- mostly pushing push that, yeah. yeah, you know, for, for primary. And then, uh, what's the, what's the dry hop? Like, what does then the process look like from there? Uh, we got a, a small little hop cannon from premier, uh, and we've really dug that. I think it really gets, we were kind of doing the uh, on top of the tank and then recirking, um, but I really think this hop cannon just gets it into saturation. You kind of get more character out of it. So we're double dry hopping through that. 
Uh, it was a big learning curve. Do you do this after uh, after you drop yeah, yeast? yeah we drop yeast. We kind of do that old school. Um, it finishes fermentation. We cool it down, uh, pull yeast, and then dry hop. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is crazy. That you know that's such such an old school thing. I feel like. Well, you know, I, I think it's funny how the old school is coming back into vogue because especially as the research shows and, you know, our, our friends at Omega have said the same kind of thing that, uh, you know, you're not going to get a lot from dry hopping while yeast is still in there uh, unless you do it. I mean, obviously, as you know, like at the very, very start of, of uh, like that first wort hop yep. is actually going to have more impact on some of that, um, you know, and, and then even still, like, there's still going to be a little bit of yeast in there when your dry hop is in there. Maybe yeah. a little, maybe a little yeah. bit of biogen. It's still working. It's yeah. still working. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but in that sense, being able to reuse that yeast and in front of the production brewery certainly has its own yeah. own benefits. Absolutely. So you, you pull off yeast and then you go through a, a dry hop process using this cannon. So is that constantly then recirculating through the, the hop cannon or, or are you uh, blowing into a tank? It's just it? blowing through, up through the bottom of the tank. So it's just immediately getting in solution, whereas if you were dry hop through the top it's kind of just it's gonna sink sit, down. yeah it's gonna okay. sit there and kind of sink down through through a few days but still could kind of maybe the, those pellets could just kind of stay together where that hop cannon just blasts it right into the tank and it's just in solution right away uh, prepping for that has to involve uh, you know a lot of purging i assume in order to make sure it you're not is, gonna screw up your beer at that point um it is a little bit of a longer process uh but i think that's something we've kind of we've catered our process to now and we just expect that um the big learning curve i mean we were when we first got it it was it was a mess we were dry hopping all day sometimes (laughs) um just some of those uh, hop cakes we created uh but now it's just kind of a a part of our day or it's routine um it is a smaller vessel so it's a 30 minute purge it's nothing right right but my assistant just we're kind of just in tune and it's, it's part of the day now so what uh what were some of the earlier mistakes that you were able to fix in using the hop cannon you know every everyone tries to make on the sales sheets you know oh add 44 pounds you can it can fit it's like uh no uh, <laughs> uh, uh that's yeah. probably the biggest uh hop cake i've made in my life and uh very expensive hops uh, and it was not fun day, but they got in the tank finally. Um, but it was a very stressful day. So that's now why you double dry hop instead of uh, trying to get it all into yeah, one yeah. dry hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. What is so? Then what does that look like? You you know you push all of these in into your dry hop, uh, and then how long does that then rest? Bef- um, We're doing twenty four to forty eight hours, and then the second dry hop, and then the kind of the same process. We'll give it a day or two, and then kind of crash that afterwards do you pull tank hot those that first dry hop out of the tank before you launch the we second do okay. um back when we first started we were kind of um so you get to lose beer twice in this process yeah, absolutely yeah, but great. we were when we first started we were having some issues with some hop creep uh so that does that we've found mm-hmm. that that does help uh we since we've started dry hopping a little bit cooler and dumping those hops we haven't had any issue uh lately or since we started doing that a few years ago so uh, yeah, we were having a lot of hop creep problems back in the day, but mm. those have been solved. Just by dropping out the first batch before mm-hmm. you put the second batch in. Yeah. And the second one's also 20, 24 to 48 hours. Yep. yep. Um, you know, how do you know when it's done? Are you tasting these and kind of evaluating or uh, do you just now have a program down that you're you're comfortable with? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, I always pull samples and give them a smell and just kind of see where they're going. Uh, you know, obviously taking all the rest of the tests. Uh, it's, you know, and then the, on the same side, it's just kind of, it's also a cycle. You kind of know, right. As long as it's smelling good and looking good, it's pretty much good. You got a rhythm to it. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, I want to change gears and talk about hazy IPA and maybe even hazy double IPA, especially this, because you are definitely pushing, uh, you know, kind of a thiol focus in some of the hazier side of your IPAs. Before we do that, ABS commercial is a full service brewery outfitter, proud to offer brew houses, tanks, and small parts to brewers across the country. They stock equipment ranging from three barrels to 90 barrels and offer custom designed equipment up to 900 barrels. Contact one of their brewery consultants today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your brewery project. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. Also craft the perfect pour with superior fruit from the perfect puree. 
Picked at the peak of ripeness, the fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. But don't just take their word for it. Experience flavor firsthand by curating your own complimentary sample box at perfectpuree.com slash beer. That's perfectpuree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer. Samples are complimentary for brewing professionals only. All right, Gary, let's talk about hazy IPA and uh, and some of the more, uh, I don't want to call them left field, but some of the more uh, intensely hop flavored uh, processes that you're now diving into, especially trying to optimize thiol, uh, you know, using thiol uh, optimizing yeast and then using, uh, you know, various kinds of products, hop products, but also uh, things like Phantasm to drive this kind of contemporary uh, hop character. Um, what, what what beer should we talk about and uh, related to that? We've done a few. Um, the one we have now is uh, Affinity for the Unattainable. Um, hence the name. We're trying to <laughs> trying to put everything. Is is that big bold, just intensely aromatic? Is that possible? And we were we're really chasing that. Um, so there's a threshold there where it becomes harder and harder to actually push past it, that, uh, yeah. you work with the dynamics of flavor, fluid, and aroma compounds, you know, and at some point you keep trying to add more and it just starts taking away rather Correct. than adding yeah. to that. Yeah. So finding ways to, again, kind of heighten the ceiling on that, um, you know, it's the, it's the Holy grail for, for most brewers these days. Yeah. Uh, so this beer, we try to throw it's like loudness, you know, like, can you push more yeah, intensity correct. because there's still a volume le- at, at level. a certain point it hurts. Yeah. Right. Uh, or, or there's a certain point where if, you know, in order to get that loudness higher, you start compressing the dynamic range. And I'm going to use my music metaphor yeah. here. You start compressing that dynamic range so much that you end up with a thin and tinny, but loud correct. sound yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than this full thing. And so building that full spectrum where, you know, it's fully supported and you're still getting that bass in the highs and the mids, but pushing that loudness, like that's, that's what great mastering can do. You're trying to figure out a way to, you know, to kind of push that intensity, um, without screwing the entire mix up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this beer, we tried to just do collect as much information as we could and just push everything we could at it. Uh, Cryo, Phantasm, Cosmic Punch, Hop Oils, um, Double Dry Hopping, all the all the above, uh, Mash Hopping, um, yeah, and it's so. Is this just a double IPA, similar uh, you know base to your regular uh, IPAs? So, yeah, uh, this one, it's got oats, wheat uh, to build that big juicy body. Um, but- Higher percentage of those, I assume. A little bit, um, but still Pilsner, Pilsner malt base, um, but supplemented with those flaked oats, malted oats, malted wheat. Yeah, just to build that this big juicy body to give just all those hops something to hold on to. Sure. Um, how, um, what percentage is Pilsner and what percentage are those? Uh, I think we're pushing between all the adjuncts. We're pushing between 25% and 30% mm-hmm. week. I'm a fan of oats. I like to push it a little harder than maybe my assistant likes. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, I, I somehow do. those 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 beers don't end up on the schedule the day that you're on the brew. Yeah, deck, weird, right? Right, weird, right? Yeah, surprising. Um, uh, but I'm a big fan. Uh, they just provide a different different flavor, almost like a creamy, like peaches and cream kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and I just yeah, I, I enjoy it. So then hops become the, the giant differentiator in their, you know, past mash. You know, what is, uh, what's the hop character, you know, where do you start with this new school approach to uh, hop products and trying to find these most advanced ways of pushing hop flavor in this beer? This is a double IPA, 8%-ish. Yeah, 8%. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we get excited uh, just when something comes around so or new things come um come on board and we just, we, we, we hop on board pretty fast. Uh, I just get excited about it. So I think it's different in the sense it's more traditional hazy. Uh, there is a little bit of uh, first ward just to kind of add some balance, but I mean, it's, it's hazy IPA in the sense of it, the, the uh, whirlpool is cooled down. We're adding as much as our kettle can handle on a hot side and whirlpool. Um, 
and then it's mainly just dry hop driven. So a little bit of little bit of first wort, and then all whirlpool, uh, nothing in between. Nothing in between, yeah, yeah. And then you know what's what's going in the whirlpool, and how, and I guess we could talk about what that blend looks like, hot side, then on cold side. This beer was uh, on the cold side. We you know we had read about all these survivable compounds and um, hop oil, so we we overloaded this the whirlpool with Centennial Salvo Mosaic. I think Mosaic Cryo, uh, and then um, Phantasm. Um, I'm sure there was Incognito in there somewhere, uh, but we just tried to overload all these hops that were high in survivables that we knew could just stand up to the heat, but then huh. also fermentation, um, and just tried to throw everything we could at it on the hot side as we could. Yeah. Um, how much of the total hop, or like, do you have an idea of what the total hop load would be for something like this and how much ended up in the whirlpool versus the uh, dry hop? I don't, cause I don't know how we, how to calculate what the, yeah. the what the T90 version would be compared to that <laughs> sure, oil. Sure, sure. Um, we have pushed it it's with some, so much math. Yeah. yeah. And that's not my strong suit. Uh, <laughs> we have pushed it a little bit with some collabs we've done. Um, we've done like four kilograms in a 15 barrel batch, uh, and that tended to work out. I typically don't push it that hard, uh, but that with that, it was a triple IPA, so it was a little bit bolder, a little bit bigger that um, that could stand up to all that oil in the in the whirlpool. Let's talk about using that in the whirlpool. Like you've got a flowable hot product. Are there some techniques that you use to you know kind of make sure that that gets incorporated well, um, you know, and that that you know, doesn't get wasted. I mean, it's also a very expensive product. Um, because it's so highly mm. focused and, and, and uh, you know, and so you want to find ways to make sure that you're using all of it that you're putting into that on the hot side. Um, something that's really worked well for us is waiting for that, that kind of uh, that cone to surface and then dumping all that incognito right in the center of that cone and tends to help just when we were first using it, it would kind of stick, it would kind of rise to the top and stick to the side of the kettle. Yeah. Um, but we found that putting it in the center of that whirlpool, it just kind of just gets in solution and stays in solution. Mm. Um, but we're big fans. I found that it just kind of lasted. You could kind of tell, you could uh, taste it post fermentation and it was true, true to style as in Citro mosaic or whatever it was. Um, and you could just taste it in the final product post fermentation. So you push all of this in the whirlpool. Is it a similar kind of cooler whirlpool temperature? Drop down to around two hundred. Yeah. Um, all for all of our APs, we're we're cooling down to a certain degree, some more than others. Um, but yeah, we were just driving that fruity tropical flavor, and that's just that helps. Yeah, when you think about bitterness, because now you're throwing a whole bunch of hops now on the hot side, and even at uh, that temperature. You're still going to isomerize some. You're still going to get a lot of measurable bitterness and in addition to perceptible bitterness. For me, it. for me, that's welcomed. Yeah. Um, you, you still have to play. Obviously, it's coming into play, so you you adjust for it. Where the first word is is minuscule. Uh, it's there because I like it there, but also it's still it's still adding some bitterness. But we we expect to get to gain some bitterness in the whirlpool. How do you calculate for that? Then, you know, if you put zero minutes on most brewing software, it's just going to give you no IBUs. So I like to put the, uh, the minute addition in there. Sometimes it's scary to do that. Uh, cause it'll give you some crazy output. Um, but I think it's just kind of tested over time and just kind of, we know what to expect, yeah. uh, from our system. And like I said, it's welcome to some extent. Um, so yeah, we just kind of have an idea of what to expect. When you uh, let me jump ahead, but what is what is something like this eight percent double IPA hazy IPA finish at in terms of gravity? Um, we prefer the drier side. Uh, this this beer I think is on the the sweeter side a little bit. Um, so I think we're f I prefer to finish at four uh, for some of these big bigger IPAs that we're really pushing the hop load in on the on the dry hop. Um, but I think this one finished a little sweeter at four five five. Something like that, but it's it's massively dry hop, so it, it that body was welcomed for right for an eight percent beer with this that also has this significant amount of bitterness in it because this is a bitter beer yeah. also, in addition to being a juicy beer, which is what I enjoy about it that uh, carries both of those yeah, elements of a fruit exactly. that 
you know, if I'm eating an orange, an orange is a very common flavor here in Florida because they grow a shitload of them around here. Um, people are all very, you know, familiar, with, especially with fresh, fresh oranges. And, you know, there's a sweetness and there's also a pithy bitterness to yeah. it. And all of those things work in conjunction with each other. You know, and this captures both sides of that, both that bitterness and and the sweetness. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and four to four and a half is a, that's, it sounds strangely conservatively dry in and, and this world weird. of hazy, yeah, hazy weird, double right? IPA, um, strangely enough. Sure, sure. So then let's talk about cold side uh, hopping on something like this. You know, again, you've used a, using a lot of advanced hot products, flowable hot products on the on the hot side and whirlpool. You know, what does the cold side then look like this? And Phantasm, I should say, on top of that. Similar to uh, what we're talking about with our Moon Boots IPA. Uh, is there anything to the way they use Phantasm in there? Is it just an addition that sets in there and, you know, that finds some footing in, in fermentation? We've only exported it in the Whirlpool. Uh, we have not dry hopped with it quite yet. Um I mean, that is how they suggest. They suggest using a yeah. hot side rather than trying to dry hop or cold side with they it. They do say you can kind of have some of those Nelson characters, uh, Sauvignon Blanc characters post um, more like mid-fermentation. It's just something for some reason we haven't explored yet. Hmm. Um, I think maybe it's just more of my traditional, let's just load it up with as much hops as we can. Sure, sure. <laughs> um Dry hop for this beer is the similar process to Moon Boots. And, what, and sorry, what yeast are you using for the, you're uh, using, we, using Cosmic Punch? Yeah, we, we are using Cosmic Punch. As far as my education is um, aware that you kind of have to have uh, these modified yeasts to bring out those to really consume and biotransform those phantasms and those hop compounds. Um, if you want to get anything out of yeah, it, right? like why use it if you're not going to go and that, do that? And that's sure. my, my education on it. Yeah, yeah. So you use Cosmic Punch and it, it behaves like a you know t- a typical kind of London Ale three yeah, as yeah. expected, but uh, kind of it's just just more aromatic and just in your face, um, and it just I feel like it's just jumping out of the glass when we we we, we made that switch to that yeast. Yeah, yeah, um, and then so what does dry hop look like for it? Same process as we were talking about earlier, double dry hop through the hop cannon, uh, but where we change on this one. Um, using just kind of all the big boy hops we've got nectron we've got galaxy we've got uh citra cryo um just trying to throw everything we could at it and just try to make it the biggest juiciest tropical guava mango fruit cup thing you could have Sure. So no flowable hot products on this side. Not yet. Uh, we are looking kind of to explore that. I think we've, uh, through your magazine, we'd read about the, what North Park is doing. Um, so we're looking to uh, explore that. That Kelsey guy. He's crazy. I haven't had any of these beers. Uh, please send me some. <laughs> um, and now, of course, we've, we're seeing the advent of new flowable dry hop focused, you know, oh. cold edition products, which... I think is you know the next phase for that, right? We have used Spectrum a little bit. Um, I I do like it. I think it gives a more of a raw, like a wet hopped character. Mm. Um, so I think we like we've used it a few times. Uh, I don't think it's in Affinity, uh, but I like to use it as like a, a layer builder because um, it has that more like fresh hop raw character that I think I enjoy. Uh, it's just I don't think it's something that's going to replace like uh, like we've used incognito kind of maybe to replace some of the T90 in the Whirlpool. Right. I just don't think Spectrum is going to replace T90 or Cryo, you know, as sure. but it sounds interesting as a layer that you might add in yeah. to add an extra extra element of depth yeah. to it. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Using of the 301 fresh hop pellets. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Um, so what's the, what's the dry hop process look like? You know, and obviously you're mixing T90 and cryo. You just do normal math on that. What's your substitution rate tend to look like, just mentally or within your software? I've never looked at it as substituting. I've always looked at it as trying to get as much flavor as we can in this beer. Um, so we're kind of, I'm, I'm, I like the flavor of T90. I think it's I think we all grew up on it, right? So it's, it has that a little bit of nostalgia and what you're looking for, but that cryo just kind of helps just drive that character throughout that beer and just kind of push that aroma out of the glass. When you're blending T90s and cryo, what, you know, how would you typically think about that from a creative standpoint? Like, 
because you want to capture some of that that familiar kind of T90 character. Um, do you go half half, or is there some kind of like threshold of T90 that you want in there just to? I think uh, you know not everything is cryo available quite yet. I think those things are coming, but like with right. the Nectaron, with the Galaxy. Um, they need that Citra. They need that mosaic as just a base builder. So if we can throw those in as cryo and add that, just that really, really solid base, it just pushes that Nectaron and that galaxy just through, through the top. Yeah. How do you, how do you think about building these hot blends that, you know, it sounds like you're using a lot here and there's a lot of moving pieces, you know, coming at it, like thinking like a chef, you know, you've got a whole bunch of moving pieces here, but they've all got to figure out how to work and complement each other and kind of, you know, sync up in this in this kind of broader orchestrated kind of flavor. Uh, you know, how do you... I think people get really technical about it. I think I'm just trial by fire or trial by error. Um, we found some that were, uh, that were great, uh, but we did a beer that was some of my favorite hops, uh, Simcoe and Vic Secret, that just didn't really work well together. Um, but we, I just, it's trial by fire and we just kind of, we try to mix it up, keep it fresh. Uh, but we, we have found there are, there are some that work better together than others. What, uh, what are some of your favorite hop combos? Uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but Citra, uh, I think it's just such a good base builder. Um, Nectaron has kind of surprised me. We're, we're using quite a bit of that. Um, what is it about Nectaron and how do you find ways to bring out the best of Nectaron? We just got it in. So we've, we've done affinity and then another beer with it. So I think it's just, I think it's citrus similar in the sense that it just, it punches through. It's just a good, it's just, it showcases itself well when you put it in there and just kind of like galaxy, just, you can tell that it's in there and it's very specific and it's, I don't know. It's new too. So it's, sure, it's exciting. Sure. So, you know, those, those are, you know, I mean, they all fit what some folks might call cheater hops. You know, like they're the hops where if you throw them in, they're just going to taste good. Yeah. What are your, what are your point guard hops? What are those kind of supporting uh, actor hops that uh, help bring out some of the really exciting character of those like, you know, leading uh, star hops? Like, yeah, like I said, citrus is always a good, like, support, support. I mean, you can throw it in there 100% and it's going to be, like, it's going to be, it's going to be good. But I kind of like to add a little bit of citrus, a little bit of mosaic to kind of just give it that underlying to showcase some of the other big stars in there. And I think those are always. So you just, use citrus as a supporting hop too, then? Uh, most often. Oh. Uh, sometimes, it, like with Moon Boots, mosaic is that, is the right. focus, the focus driver in those. It has other supporting characters in there. Uh, but for the most part, like you, I think you kind of need those cheater. I mean, they, they work. So, I mean, let's be honest, that's why we're using hey, them. Hey, um, no complaints from me, yeah. uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, but and cheater hops, that's a pejorative term, obviously. Like, you know, they're just, hey, they work, they, you know, what are, what are you going to do? I, I guess the hot butcher guys would call them bangers. Those are our bangers, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, right. Finding those kind of layers in there, uh, you know, also help support and heighten the awareness of, of some of those. But we've circled, big, beautiful hops. we've circled back around to Centennial. Um, mm. that was a big hop we used at our last brewery and just kind of, kind of faded out for me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why, but we've started to bring that back. Um, I think it adds just a little bit of that nostalgic character, but we've learned that it's, I mean, it's a good hop. And, and you're using Centennial, but in a more, you know, in a different format even now. Too. Uh, even on the Whirlpool side, yes. Uh, but then we started to add um, a little bit of Centennial, a little bit of Cascade, just to kind of, they work and they're good and they're classic and they add these multiple layers. Um, not They're not often the showcase, but they're still in there. They're still helping support the big, the, the other, the banger hops, like the, the, the guys that are there to really just punch you in the face. Sure. Sure. But I like that layered approach. And I think that, uh, you know, it makes for drinkable beers that also feel connected to some broader idea yeah. of the, the subconscious of or, yeah. you know, um, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, an artist 
using a, a specific hue that another art, you know, historical artist has used. And you see that and like, it just brings back an echo and feels familiar mm-hmm. absolutely, and, uh, you know, feels connected to this kind of thing and makes it, uh, you know, even if it pushes off branches out into some new space of, of, you know, artistic aesthetic expression, it still feels grounded yep. in this other thing and, and connected to that. And so, you know, you build the new from the old, and uh, kind of build this this spectrum of connectivity between those things. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we've talked a lot about IPA. Is there another beer style that's really close to your heart that uh, you want to talk to, talk about before we uh, before we wrap this up? We're uh, big fans of lager. Um, I think it just kind of again falls into that nostalgic. It's uh, what we all grew up. That's how we got started drinking beer. Um, we do a beer here called Punks in the Waiting Room. It's kind of based in the Italian Pilsner, um, kind of still in that hoppy realm, um, but it's just drinkable. It's just our go-to fallback beer um, when everything else is just too much. Well, what's your approach to this kind of Italian style or Italianish, uh, you know, Pilsner? Uh, we kind of step mash it. Let me guess, you use Wireman pills. Weird, right? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, well, it's Wireman. It is the uh, Arakella. Oh, uh, Arakella. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so again, Italian malt. Uh, build, go, building, right? building right. the uh, the the the, uh, the blocks to make it more Italian. Um, step mashed for just to help dry this beer out. Um, that's really as complex as get. I wish we could do other things, but sure. it's what we have, you know, there's no decoction happening yeah, back no, there. No, uh, we, th- we thought about it, but that's all right. I was just talking to uh, Dustin at roadmap who won a, um, a, a gold medal for their, all right, all right, all right. American style or international style Pilsner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a single infusion. I'm not even step mashing. And uh, you can make great beers in a whole bunch of different ways. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. There's all different ways you can add complexity, but, you know, I think uh, tried and true and infusion works and it's, yeah. well, we don't have any option to do anything else. So it is what it is. Sure. So then, uh, you know, what does the rest of it look like? Um, traditional kind of lager. It's, uh, again, I hate to say it's like kind of like ipa-esque but we kind of multiple additions throughout the boil just to build that noble noble character uh it is middle through and sephir just through and through okay um throughout the hot side and cold side uh we dry hop just a little bit just to kind of amp that aroma up just a touch with the same hops with the same hops yeah 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 so just kind of classic you know german German style pills with a little bit of a dry hop. Well, thank you. Thank you for making an Italian style pills using, you know, exactly what the yeah. Italians would act, or I shouldn't say the Italians, I should say what Tipo pills and, uh, or uh, Birificio Italiano would actually do, which is it's using German noble between hops. Between Tipo. It's, it's such a, you know, it's interesting to see how many people's Italian style pilsners are using hops that probably don't fit within that definition and probably you know, fit within some other idea. No, between Tipo and Pivo, those were big, big influences on this beer. Right. And you've got the Saphir. There it is. There's your Pivo so influence. Big, big influences. So. Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of old world German style Pilsner, just with a little bit of kind of like new world, just kind of keep the new customers excited. Uh, the new guys coming into the craft beer scene is like, they want something that's nice and, you know, reminiscent of their their you know european styles but has just more character going on and more just, just a little bit more yeah just needs a little bit a little just bit extra sure sure well let's zoom out here let's talk about the big picture what's uh what are your goals for sideward what do you all hope to achieve what uh what's that long-term success look like for you all and uh, when will you know that you get there and you should say like you opened a year before the pandemic started like you're only really at this point even four years in settling into what things could actually or should actually look like now. I know this, we're looking off in the future and this is a ways away potentially at this point, but what, what do you hope to achieve with this brewery? Um, I think just bringing more attention to just, you know, Orlando has always been the underdog. So bringing more attention here, uh, getting people to come get excited to check us out, check the city out. Um, we are off. People often think of the mouse. We are very, very far removed from that, uh, distance wise, but also culturally. Um, so we've got it coming. We've got it going on. So come see us, uh, come, come spend some time in Orlando and 
you know, for the brewery. I There's think- a great, you're right. There's a great piece of this. There's a great piece of Orlando outside of the theme parks. Yeah. So if you can get out of the theme parks, get into downtown, like there's great restaurants, there's great bars, yeah. there's great places to drink beer. There's some cool stuff to explore out here. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah. For the brewery, I think we, you know, we don't have the vision of the, the hundred barrel system, you know, that I think those days are gone. Uh, but you know, I think just trying to just make the best beer we can. And if it, uh, if it ends up going that way, great. If, but if we stay small and nimble and humble and you know, we're, we're how ha- we're happy to stay here as well. Well, there's a cool style and attitude and a point of view to the beer that you make that feels like you guys, um, you know, and it feels like you have, this kind of aesthetic stamp on what you do. Uh, it's a great place to drink beer and the beers themselves are delicious. Everyone should come check us out. And I think that's a great place to wrap this up. For nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brew to the next level. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your craft concentrate blends. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft. ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter for breweries across the country and craft the perfect pour with superior fruit from the perfect puree. Of course, if you enjoy this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, let us know that this content matters to you. Um, Garrett, if people want to learn more about Sideward or come check you out and come drink some of the beers themselves, where where do they find you all? Uh, Classic social media. We're all over Instagram, Facebook. Uh, sidewardbrewing.com uh, we're right in the heart of the milk district right in downtown Orlando so please look us up google all of the above a little bit of metal a little bit of rock and roll yeah. a little bit of edge um, is, a, is a nice style to sideward and of course the beers themselves have that same kind of uh, like energy that same kind of rock and roll that same kind of uh, disregard for authority yeah. and let's uh, make this fucking rock. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks for coming by. Yeah, cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.